Right, let's get our Bibles out to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, page 1078 on the few Bible there in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, just grab the one in front of you. Go to page 1078. You'll find Ephesians chapter 1. That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, we're studying the book of Ephesians in this series, We Are Family. And what we did following Easter was we spent some weeks talking about the family relationships that are revolutionized by the gospel as described in the book of Ephesians in the uh, fifth and sixth chapter there at the end of the book. And remember me saying that the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is all gospel in what is, and then the next three chapters, three, four, five, and six, are all about what do we do in light of what is. And so as we look at Ephesians 1, uh, keep that in mind, Paul comes out blazing right from the beginning with uh, wanting us to know these amazing and radical truths that usher us into a new reality. See, as soon as we started talking about marriage and family and parenting and job relationships, what becomes immediately apparent is that the gospel just revolutionizes all of our relationships. It, it completely transforms everything. Well, now we're going to dive into what those truths are that lead to these completely transformed relationships. And so uh, it truly is... Uh, the book of Ephesians is like it is like the 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 dawning of here's here's what a new life in a new world with a new king this is what this looks like and the first 3 chapters are sort of the front page news that are telling us that all of this has happened and now this is available so let's pray and then we'll Look at it together. Father, we want to thank you this morning for your blessing upon us by the reality of who you are. And God, as we celebrate Mother's Day today, we recognize that many emotions are stirred up. We have moms in this room that are being honored by their families. We have people that are a little sorrowful this morning because they miss their mom. We have single moms who are struggling on their own to uh, just to play the role of both parents every day, God. And we have moms who don't have the people around them that they wish were around them. And every scenario in between. But Lord, we're a family and we're here this morning together to, to worship you and to thank you. And so... We give you praise that it was your design and purpose. It was your good pleasure that created the family in the first place, that gave each and every one of us a mom, that put people in our lives in the absence of a mom who, who played the role of mom and who filled the void of mom. And Lord, we, we thank you for that. And so this morning as we study your word, we ask for ears to hear. We ask that you would help us to focus and that, Lord, we might have a true desire in our heart to, to hear from you and to be, to be changed. We need your help, Lord. And 
Some of us realize that, and some of us aren't sure of that yet. But God, will you reveal it to us, and will you supply that which we need today? Thank you. Thank you for what can happen in these moments. We give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, there's a, there's a few things that all of us in the room have in common. Um, and one of those things is that we all live in the, in the shadow of our past. We all exist uh, with, a, with a lot of yesterdays uh, that are filled with all sorts of things. Some of, some of our yesterdays are filled with small, seemingly insignificant things that uh, many of which we've forgotten about. But then there are also some bigger things. There are some mountaintop experiences in our past that have shaped us. There's some, some, uh, some victories and some uh, moments that have really helped to make us who we are. But we all also have a past that we don't want to think about. We've all done things that we regret. We all have things in our past that we wish weren't there, that make us uncomfortable, that maybe even that we've never shared with anybody else before. Maybe that we've tried to hide, tried to uh, pretend weren't there. And even in that, they have profoundly affected us and shaped us. It affects how we live today. We, we wish that our past was just indicative of the good times. But it's not. All of us have losses and hurts, valleys and mistakes that we wish weren't there. And there are things that our parents never knew about, or our siblings didn't know about, or even our spouses don't know about. And we're determined oftentimes, no doubt, some of us in this room, to make sure that no one ever finds out about those things. And why is that? Because if we all have this in common, then it would just seem like we wouldn't Try so hard to pretend it wasn't there because we all do. And we all know that we all do. But yet somehow, we try to pretend like we don't. Because we live in a world where acceptance is based on, frankly, how well you can hide the mistakes that you've made in your past. I mean, you think about the process of being interviewed, if, you're, if you go to a job interview and the interviewer says, tell me about yourself, you're not going to tell them about all the mistakes that you've made in the past. You're going to tell them about the good things. You're not going to tell them your character flaws. You're not even going to tell them that you, you you're going to try to smooth things over you know you're not going to tell them that you're a you got a big problem with procrastination that's not going to help your job searching so what we'll do is we'll say well I've been told that I work well under pressure 
That's how we spin that. Because it sounds better, you know? But we hide it, we spin it. The better we are at hiding and spinning, the more acceptance we're going to find. The more you can make yourself seem like you have it together, you're going to gain more acceptance. But here's what we know. That is exhausting. It just wears us out. Nothing is more exhausting than pretending to be somebody that you're not. Hiding behind a facade. And the thing is, you can never let your guard down. Ever. You have to keep it up all the time. There's no rest. There's no rest in pretending. But not all of us use pretending as a coping mechanism for our past. Some of us don't. We, we go past pretending. We go to performing. And so the way we compensate for our past is instead of trying to pretend it never happened, we just perform in the present to try to outshine anything that might have happened in the past. We just want to perform our way. We sit atop the heap of all of our accomplishments devote ourselves sometimes even to helping other people accomplish things see it looks very noble from the outside it's under the the cloak or the disguise of being helpful but really it's all just a pile of pride and eventually for all of us failure comes eventually it always does and when that happens especially to the performer, you just pretend like you, it was some kind of a fluke and you just work twice as hard to overcome and climb back up to the top. And again, what's the result? Exhaustion. There's always going to be some future failure. It's always looming. And we know that. We just keep working and we keep trying. But here's, what we, here's what's true. All of us in here this morning. We start talking about our past and our regrets and our mistakes. and We start to feel, it's almost like this choking feeling. Like our past is choking us. We need good news. We need some good news that's going to set us free from that and, and let us live as if what we know is true is actually true. Like we know we all have a past, but somehow we can't just, we can't, we can't come out. We just have to try to hold it back. Pretend that, well... And other people around us, you know, they open up a little bit and share a little bit. And then we open up a little bit and share a little bit. And we take these little baby steps. But here's what the Bible is going to show us this morning. Is that it's not about taking little steps. It's not about, it's not about doing a, a, a list of things. Freedom is not found in instruction. That's what Paul's going to say. It's found in revelation. 
See, the, the reason that we're, we struggle with our past is, is not because we haven't done the right things. It's because we haven't seen the right things. What we need is news. When you open up and start reading the book of Ephesians, as we have recently in, in uh, D group, one of the first things that should strike you is, is that as you open this letter and begin to read, there's no imperatives. There's no commands. Like this whole first section, there, there's, there's not one command to do anything. All it is is news. It's news of what is, what already is. Nothing for us to do. What ushers us from the old into the new reality is news. It's news. The way I see it is we're, we're born into a world of mirrors. You know why our past plagues us? Some in here are more crippled than others, but all of us have this issue. And do you know why I think that is? It's because we're born into a world where we live in a, in a, in a room where there's only mirrors. And so as we look around in life, we grow up learning to sort of look around and see. All we see is reflections of ourselves and reflections of other people. And so everything about us is based on that. Based on, we base what we see in the mirror of ourselves on what we see of other people. We base what we see in other people on what we see of ourselves. And we're just trapped in this cell. And it leads us to a very broken idea of beauty. See, beauty is not found in a room of mirrors because it can't be found in trying to create a perfect image of ourselves. That's not where beauty is found. But if that's all you can see, then that's all you can do. Beholding beauty comes when we look through something onto something else. When we get outside of this, you have your listening guides, we'll phrase it this way to start. The Bible is a window for us to look through and see what God is like. It's like the first time the gospel opens your eyes, it's like just the first time you looked and you didn't see the reflection of yourself or someone else, you suddenly in this room that had only been mirrors up until now, a window opened and you peered outside for the first time and you, you saw something so big and glorious and you didn't even know existed. That's what this news is. So Ephesians begins, Paul, the author, an apostle, of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now think about just that introduction. Think about, you want to talk about somebody with a checkered past. 
Here's your front runner, Paul. He had invested his life in making himself beautiful through an achievement. He had done it all. He had jumped through all the hoops. God shows up, knocks him off his high horse. And how did God do that? With earth-shattering news. He says, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Understand, this isn't a title that Paul gave to himself. He's not introducing himself self-titled the apostle. This is God's declaration that one of his most notorious enemies is now his sent one. That's what apostle means. So just in the fact that it's Paul and apostle, there's the sermon right there. Something completely radical has happened. See, a God encounter triggers something in us, doesn't it? We encounter God and it triggers this death match between God and our past. And God's undefeated. He's never lost that battle ever. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, here's what just blows my mind is these two words that he often uses, grace, this undeserved, unmerited favor, and peace. Peace? What do you mean peace? Again, sometimes we, we, we've walked with the Lord for so long that we forget that before we knew Christ as Savior, we didn't know what peace was. We never had peace. We never experienced peace. And what is peace? Peace is being at rest with yourself and everyone and everything around you. That's impossible. And yet he says, grace, this unmerited favor, and peace, having unhindered relationships, peace. To everyone. And then he goes, he just explodes in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Whenever you're reading the Bible, Bible study 101, always pay attention to repetition. Always pay attention to repetition. Always, when you're listening to a sermon, pay attention to repetition. Blessed, blessed, blessed. That should jump off the page. This news, this knowledge of God, it's not intended to be some intellectual exercise. But it's a, it's a spiritual and emotional experience that we respond to. That's what he's saying. Blessed, blessed, blessed. This is the response to something tremendous that has taken place. See, praise is the reflex of the people who know their God. That's the reflex. 
That's the natural response. That's what happens. Where praise doesn't exist, God is not known. See, if Paul were were an event planner, then he would have set it up to where as soon as verse 3 began to be read aloud, streamers and confetti would have started falling from the ceiling. That's what he would have done. you got to understand how crazy this is. Verse 3 all the way to the end of the section is one sentence. 202 words, one sentence. You think I've run on long. 202 words, one sentence. All the punctuation you see in all these verses down to about 14, that's all put in there in the English. That's not there in the original. It's, he's so excited about what he's saying, he just starts rambling on, on and on and on. So understand, this this blessing, this isn't something you sit back passively with your arms folded and you listen to. This is something that you engage with and experience and respond to. He's saying, oh, because of God, we've been so incredibly blessed, blessed beyond our wildest dreams. See, A failure to worship God, it's not due to some lack of goodness on God's part. It just simply means that we haven't looked through the window and seen the beauty of who He is. See, whenever you or someone else is not worshiping God, it's because all we're doing is looking in the mirrors at the reflections around us. We haven't haven't opened the window and peered out the window. We're still trapped in this realm of nothing but humanity we don't understand what god has done or how good he actually is blessed blessed are we in christ with every every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places see the only reason why well i don't even really know why i mean it 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 almost seems like in my mind, I just envisioned me reading verse 3 and then everyone jumping out of their chair and just screaming and celebrating. And, and, and here's the truth. If I would have set it up to where when I read verse 3, $100 bills fell out of the ceiling, you would have went crazy and started screaming. That's what's so sad. We'd all go crazy for $100 bills. That's just garbage compared to this. You see, we, we, when all we see is mirrors and reflections, what we see, we think every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, well, uh, I want something tangible. I want something I can hold on to in the here and now. Well, what has he done? Well, he's blessed us. Well, with what? With every spiritual blessing. Notice the tense. Has 
blessed us. It's not going to bless us when we do X, Y, or Z. It's not some future thing. It's past tense, done, accomplished. And then he's about to really go into some groundbreaking material here. He's going he's gonna to show us how he frees us from the chokehold of our past, how he, how he flings the window open and reveals to us the beauty of the world in which he has made possible for us. Because in verse 4, he says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we might be holy and blameless before him. Here's what's so amazing about the past tense of these statements. You know, realize that God chose us to become blameless but not because we were blameless. That he's he's choosing us in this debilitated, chokehold state. He chose us out of the orphanage of mirrors, wandering around in circles, looking at our reflection and the reflection of everyone else and trying to sort out who we are through that. See, Paul wants us to know that God knows everything about us. He knows it all. And he chose us anyway. And I guess, well, it doesn't matter if it's good or bad. But what matters is, is it true? And here's what's true. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. I have mixed emotions about it. Sometimes I think it's good. Sometimes I think it's bad. But I know it's true. I know it's true that verses like verse 4 in Ephesians 1 cause people to get all tangled up and go, well, does that mean that I didn't choose him? Now, Listen. If you're thinking that, that's okay. I'm about to answer it. But I just want to say something. What? Why, why is that our response? Because it sounds like you're saying, wait a minute. Am I losing some glory here? Or am I getting less lines in the, in the play? Like, why are you worried about that? You're worried about how much skin you have in the game? Why has this been such a theological bombshell for so? Because humans are just broken. Broken. But nonetheless, we do need to understand it. We do need to understand that, well, the Bible says, clear as a bell, no one understands, no one seeks God. Romans 3.11. The Bible teaches unless God seeks, no one will be found. That's what, that's what it teaches. Unless God chooses, no one's going to be saved. That's what it teaches. Right? That's what it says. doesn't matter what you think about it. doesn't matter how you feel about it. That's what it says. But is that all it says? Well, no. What's also true is that love can't be forced. And that God desires a loving relationship with us. 
proven by. All you have to do is think about the narrative of Scripture, starting with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. Why is there a tree of choice? It tells you something about God's design. Furthermore, the Bible introduces us that there is an enemy, and his name is Satan. And how did he become our enemy? Because he's a created being, and he had choice. He rebelled against God. So clearly choice is in God's creation. Jesus interacted with the rich young ruler who walked up and said, "How how do I be saved? Jesus explained it to him, and he rejected and walked away sad. Now, if he, if he was chosen, wouldn't he have walked away happy? But he walked away sad. So if he wasn't chosen, then why would Jesus share something with someone who wouldn't have the possibility of saying yes to it? It wouldn't make any sense. So the Bible says in John chapter 1, Behold, or no, John chapter 1, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, does it say to all who were forced to receive, predestined to receive, elected to receive? No, it doesn't say that. Revelation 3, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears, the door will automatically fling open, knock knock him in the face, and he'll wake up a Christian. Is that what it says? Well, no. So why are we so tangled up? Are we pretending that we are unaware that two seemingly opposing things can't be true at the same time? Is that what it is? Well, if this is true, then this can't be true. What world do you live in? Let me ask you a question. If you're walking through the woods, and you're already in my illustration, so you're going to do dumb things. And you see a bear cub. And you go, oh, look at the little bear cub. And you go, honey, give me my camera, and you get up close to that bear cub so you can take a cute little picture, and suddenly you hear the roar, and you see the teeth of a very frustrated mama bear. Now, I have a question for you, astrophysicist. Is what you see on the face of that mama bear, is it bear wrath or bear love? Hmm? Which one is it? Well, it's both. It's bear wrath. And why is she wrathful? Because she loves the baby. Two seemingly opposite things true at the same time. We experience that all the time. I mean, think about the Bible. God chooses Israel as his people. Does that imply that he rejects all other nations? Well, no. What does does God say to Abraham in Genesis 12? You're going to 
be the father of my people, and you're going to be a blessing to all other people. It's not this people to the rejection of all other people. When Jesus chooses the 12 disciples, does that mean he rejects all other people? You see how elementary we often are in our, because it's just pridefulness, really. It's what it is. Here's a humbling verse. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. That's it. Aren't you good with worshiping a God that's not confined to things that you can only understand? Does that make you happy? It should make you super happy. I love Romans 11. Oh, the depths of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, and his ways past finding out. See, here's, here's God's ways over here, and over here is the limit of me being able to find out. See, this is all I can find out, and that's his ways over there. I don't have the capacity to get over there. Now, there is a body waiting on me that I will get one day, praise the Lord, and it's going to be amazing with a supercharged ability, but I don't have that right now. And so I'm over here, and God's ways are way over there. See, for the Apostle Paul, for the Bible, for anyone who reads the Bible honestly and with a heart for God, God's calling us before the foundation of the world is great news. I don't understand the person that reads that news and then goes, wait a minute, chosen us, does that mean, what is wrong with you? Did you not hear what it just said? Like we could get to that later, but shouldn't we just stop for a minute and go, what? He chose you? You, you know, the one you've been looking at in the mirror, it ain't that great. See, a right understanding of being chosen by God will cause an outpouring of praise. That the, the Bible, notice, notice how Paul is talking about us being chosen in the context of worship and blessing and just roaring with praise. And it's not just that God chose us. I mean, that is unbelievable. But what type of relationship did he choose us for? See, look at how verse 5 comes into the picture. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Man. What? He predestined us, so he chose us. He predestined us to adoption. On the surface, just think about what that's saying. Don't get hung up in, in all the details. Just think about on the surface first. 
that what God did was so not an impulsive decision. Look at how methodical and how, how, how premeditated his actions were. Look at how precise and, and, and just look at the, the decisions that God made according to his children. How purposeful, how intentional, how methodical he put all this together. Then you, you look at the reflections you see in the mirror and you go, well, well clearly God's not looking for the, the best and the brightest. I mean, this isn't God like on the playground when we were kids picking kickball teams. This is meant to just evoke just shock in our hearts of gratitude and joy that, what? He did that for me? He chose me? He had a plan to adopt me? I mean, clearly, whether you know it or not, you're, you're sitting in a church this morning that's more familiar with adoption than probably any other group of people in the world. So we have a lot, we have a lot of personal experience with adoption, don't we? We know a lot about that. And even if you personally haven't adopted, you... Uh, love and serve next to people all the time who do. You can't go anywhere around our children's ministries in the room not be peppered with children that have come through adoption here. And that's a beautiful normalcy, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Back in 2021, in September... A five-month-old baby boy came into our fellowship. And I'll never forget the first time that I laid eyes on little Logan. And neither will you if you've ever met him. Because instantly when you see him, you realize something's a little amiss here and I'd never seen a child with half his skull missing before. A little hat on his head because his brain was exposed. Before he came to us, he'd, he'd been in a coma for months. He's on a feeding tube. He's got a little machine there and a tube going in his side to feed him. And he just lay there in his own world. I mean, at five months, it was hard to tell exactly what he could or couldn't do or know. Or I just remember thinking, man, 
little boy must have been in one horrible accident. Like some really terrible accident to cause these injuries. And then as time went on, we slowly began to find out more information. And I remember the, the doctors telling the foster parents that they didn't expect little Logan to live very long. Um, they, he'd never be able to see your face. His eyes are permanently damaged and the nerves are never going to work or repair. He can't speak. The damage done to his throat and his vocal cords have eliminated that possibility. So he'll, he'll never... He'll never say the words mommy or daddy. I remember in the beginning, the only sounds he ever made were just cries and screams and I assume from the pain or the discomfort that he's in. The doctor said, well, he'll never eat through his mouth. That's not a possibility. He can't take food in like the rest of us which means he'll never he'll never taste anything and no matter how long he lives he'll he'll never he'll never taste his own birthday cake he'll never know what that's like because of his injuries there's no chance that he'll crawl or walk or ever run. So he'll never. He'll never be free. In the backyard with other little boys. Chasing balls or catching frogs. He'll never. Catch a fish. Or learn to swim. And he'll never go a day without medication that keeps his constant and continual seizures somewhat at bay and controls the pain that he's in. And the shocking part of the story initially is the revelation that little Logan was born perfectly normal and whole. And that all of these things that I just described to you were not a result of a horrible accident, but injuries he sustained that were purposefully done to him by his bi biological father. But see, the story doesn't end there. Last month, almost a month ago to today, little Logan's adoption was finalized and he became Josiah James Clark. Man. See, today, today he's, he's got a family. Darren and Rebecca and his big sisters, 
Piper and Peyton and his antsy big brother Oakley. And Mimi and Papa Steve. And we went over and celebrated his adoption. All I could think about was a few weeks before he was adopted, I, I was sitting with the family, and Logan was there, and, you know, he was doing his usual thing, and I was just watching him smile. could see how different he is and how joyful. I, I was just watching him squeak and, and laugh in his own way. I was noticing how super excited and exuberant he would get whenever he would hear the voices of his brothers or his sisters you know when he when he heard his family he knew who it was and you could tell by the look on his little face and that little five-month-old that didn't respond to anything just like he didn't even know that he was in the world at all now he he's aware of all these things and I just walked away from that time I got to my truck and I just sat there and I just cried my eyes out it wasn't because I was sad no I cried sad tears when I met him but I cried happy tears that day I said God thank you thank you thank you for the opportunity to see what the gospel is see a picture see I'm Logan God took me in and he knew how broken I was it didn't stop him see I know what the Bible says that's the thing the, the Bible the book of Ephesians says that That our home used to be the, the orphanage in the kingdom of darkness. See, the next chapter of Ephesians, here's what the Bible says. And you were made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That's, that's the orphanage that I was in. God walked in that orphanage. And he, he didn't see all the broken things about me. He, he, he looked past. He knew all the trouble I was going to cause him. And he knew all the frustration that I was going to be to him. 
He knew all the sleepless nights it was going to take and all the all the work it was going to be just to get me just a fraction of what I was meant to be. But none of that stopped him. He just came and scooped me up said, I choose this one. Let me tell you what I didn't say in that moment. I didn't say, are you saying that I didn't choose you? You think that mattered? All that mattered was, for the first time in my life, I had a father. I had a family. And the thing about the thing about this whole picture in Ephesians 1 and this story about Logan becoming Josiah is that God didn't he didn't take us in and, and foster us for a time which would have been exceedingly and abundantly above anything we could ask or think. No, he, he sealed the deal. He walked into the courtroom and stood before the judge and transferred ownership. He brought, he didn't bring relief, he brought permanence. Our blessing as adopted children rests on the foundation of God's predetermined permanence. That's what adoption is. See, if you think about who this God is that we're talking about, who is God? When you, when you look out the window for the first time and you see the beauty of who God is, what do you see? What is it that we see? Do we see the beauty of a God who's creator? Well, we see a God who is a creator, but is he fundamentally a creator? No, God's not fundamentally a creator. Do you know how you know that? Because for him to be fundamentally a creator, he would have had to have a creation as long as he existed. But see, God in the very beginning, before creation, God still was, but he didn't have creation. So that means he's not fundamentally a creator. But who is he? Is God fundamentally a, a ruler and a king? Well, he is a ruler and he is a king. But is that fundamentally who he is? Well, in order for him to fundamentally be a ruler or a king, he would have always had to have had subjects to rule over. But he didn't until he created. And so he's not fundamentally a ruler or a king. He's not fundamentally a creator. What is he fundamentally? He's fundamentally a father. Because as long as God has existed, the one thing that's been true is that he's always been part of a family. 
He's always been the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's always been community. There's always been family. And you say to yourself, well, wait a minute. Well, what does that mean? It means that God created us in order to share with us what He already is. He didn't create because He's a creator. He didn't create because He's a ruler. He created because He's fundamentally a father. He's fundamentally exists in community. He created us for that. And so if you're here this morning and you're exhausted from pretending and performing and running from your past, if you're tired from looking in, in mirrors and seeing reflections, maybe this morning on this Mother's Day it's an opportunity for you to walk over to the window and peer out and see the beauty of who God is. We're not going to figure this thing out looking at ourselves or looking at each other. We got to see something truly beautiful. Something magnificent beyond our imagination. And by the way, there's one last piece to this text that I want you to take home with you today. With regards to you and your past and your failures and your mistakes and your regrets. Oftentimes when I talk about this, people think that the solution is stop looking at your past. Stop thinking about your past. Just let it go. Just forget about it. Just pretend it never happened. Just whatever. To which we all know that doesn't work. And that's not the solution. The problem's not that we're looking too much at the past. Our problem is that we're not looking far enough into the past. Do you know what we see when we look out that window? We see all the way back before we were, before we ever had a past, before our story ever began. We see a God who loved us then, who had a plan for us then. And if if you can leave here this morning knowing that God loved you before you were, then that chokehold of your past around your neck will just vanish because your past has no power if God loved you prior to all of it. Does it? No. Let's stand and bow our heads. Lord, I don't have words this morning for how good you are. They won't they won't reach reality. They won't accurately give glory to you. But the only thing I do have that's fit for a king is my praise and my worship.
For you are good beyond any capacity we have to understand good. Lord, free us from this orphanage of mirrors. Fling open the window. Let us look past all this and see you and what you had determined to do before we were and what nothing could stop you from accomplishing. That you didn't just intervene. You didn't just bring a reprieve. You didn't come with a a booklet full of solutions. You burst forth and became the solution. And we now can awake in a new reality where we have received every spiritual blessing. Where we can know and understand that we were chosen personally by you. That before we ever were, you had predestined a plan to adopt us into your family so that we would know that we didn't behave our way into your family, we can't behave our way out. That we could walk in a broken and dark world in utter security, knowing that your love for us will never, ever, ever fail. Ever. What would happen this morning if we took hold of the gospel? Thank you for all of the gospel windows in this room. All the lives that you've flung open. That we now can go out and be a window for others to see. That there's so much more. So much more. Thank you, God, for the gift of salvation. Jesus, save anyone in this room who is lost and apart from you. Call them to you. Today. Today, let them look out the window and run to the Father who's always loved them. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. You are a wonderful Father. We're so grateful. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The altar is open. I invite you to come. You come if you want to receive the Lord as Father and Savior.